Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Seth. And I'm Zach. And we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right. We are the Classic, Classic Gaming, Gaming Brothers. Brothers. That's that right. That is right. Did you know what this episode is? It's 180. It's 180. That's right. And if this was a person, they would be dead. <laughs> For almost 80 years they would have been dead dang <laughs> at least that's implying that people instantly die at 100 though <laughs> that's, true. that's true the podcast could be dead for a lot longer <laughs> yeah we've done a lot we've done a lot we've we've done a lot we've in fact released a, at a minimum 180 episodes oh so we've released weekly 180 episodes and then sometimes more <laughs> sometimes more we actually maybe have some extra content coming out soon to a theater near you not in an actual theater but you know what we could do how cheap do you think pre-movie trailers are oh they they were dirt cheap for a while yeah, <laughs> i don't know if they're could've... still dirt cheap but they were dirt cheap for a while the last time i went to a, th- a movie they did not have any pre-trailer stuff they literally did not have anything on then they turned on and it was trailers i was like wow I thought there's usually advertisings. Are you looking up the price of a movie theater ad? <laughs> I definitely am. You tell me if it's under $200, we'll get a uh, classic game. I'll do spot. a little more digging. I'll do a little more digging. Um, yeah. Our father used to sell theater ads. He, he did? I'm pretty sure he did. He once told me when we were sitting in a movie theater and a like a pre-trailer ad came on, he was like, I used to sell these. I don't know for what <laughs> or to who <laughs> or where. He might also not have said that and I made that up, but I'm like yeah. very but certain he told me that. All of a sudden, dad's a media buyer for freaking... No, uh, no. I think, I think it was like he... I don't know. I think he was he was working for something and they needed to put ads in like local theaters or something. I don't know. I'll, I'll double yeah, check with him. I might have just completely bullshit that. Anyway, let's get into today's episode, Seth. Sure. What have you been playing? Uh, recently, I've been playing a game called Moons of Darsalon, which was released uh, April 19th of this year. Uh, it was developed and published by Dr. Kucho Games, and Kucho has an exclamation point. It's a retro action save them all platform, which includes uh, advanced physics combined with a unique retro feel. You complete rescue missions on the moons of Darsalon, where you need to find your colleagues and a like base station and you have to get them through doors and get them over issues they're kind of dumb and you also have to fight enemies using you get laser guns and jetpacks and eventually can get to like blow up terrain to make new paths and it's kind of like a little bit like lemmings and a little bit like worms but if lemmings were smart and the and so were the worms set with like little spacemen that look like it's like 1970s retro futurism like space Man outfits with scan lines and like a really great color palette and some really fun voices because you do also get voice command to control your colleagues so you can tell them to go left you can tell them to go right you can tell them to stop and you can tell them to come here and zach i'm gonna ask you to find some audio of moon to darsalon and cut it in here just so that everyone can appreciate the great audio of moon to darsalon <laughs> It was great. I saw it originally. I think we played it during a Steam demo event, possibly streamed it, but uh, it's a lot of fun. And I think one of the one of my favorite aspects of it is I've played it on my computer and I've played it on my Steam Deck. When you play uh-huh. it with mouse and keyboard, 
the game tells you you should play it with a gamepad. Like the little dialogue boxes pop up and is like, this game's better with a gamepad. We can still play it with mouse and keyboard, but the controls are really crazy. But if you play it with a gamepad, then it just makes comments about how like the jump is left trigger and it's like, jump is left trigger. That's weird. There must be a reason for that as like certain other things come through and you develop more abilities as you progress the game and learn the game. So like you get a flashlight and that becomes like your B button and stuff like that. Really cool game. I recommend checking it out. Moon's Dar Salon. I think it's like 20 bucks MSRP. And right now I think they're running it for $16. So check it out if you're into like retro side scrolling, saving, collecting people games. Cool. Like almost like a little puzzle game. Yeah, it looks cool from the pictures I saw. Well, Zach, what about you? What have you been recently playing? Well, Seth, recently I've been playing a game called Jurassic Boy 2. Uh, it is an unlicensed game created by Sachin back in 1994. And it's also known as Chow Yun Susong Menglong, literally supersonic raptor. And it's a sonic-like platformer for the Famicom. While I wouldn't call it a bootleg because it doesn't really steal any assets or anything or tries to rip off the IP beyond the gameplay, uh, it certainly doesn't try to hide its roots. The logo for the game has a, uh, like one of those emblems with like the wings on it that like Sonic has and Jurassic Boy appears in it and does a little finger wave and stuff. Very, very much like Sonic does. The plot of the game, because it actually does have a plot, involves scientists going back in time to retrieve a gene from dinosaurs so that they can successfully clone them. You play as Chen, who's a fast-moving raptor, who must save his family from the clutches of the evil Dr. Crotchy. The game plays a lot like Sonic, um, a bit faster than other bootleg ports of Sonic, like Somari, but still has its clunkiness. Um, and I recently managed to get a physical copy of the game for the Famicom uh, from a seller in Taiwan. So my copy is one of the original releases, which is nice. Ooh. And I've been able to play it on real hardware on my actual Famicom, which is nice. I've played the game previously via emulation and often ran into some issues with the speed and and just kind of the controls. But playing it on real hardware kind of lends it to be a bit easier to play as there isn't as many issues that you run into with emulation as you're playing it the way it's meant to be played. It still has control issues. Uh, it's not a perfect game, but I, I do find playing it on real hardware makes it a bit more enjoyable. Like most Satchin games, it is certainly not perfect, but I would say it's better than Master Chew and the Drunkard Who, which I know Seth is familiar with, and he hated that game. Also, fun fact about Jurassic Boy 2, there is no Jurassic Boy one that's a good game for the classic gaming brothers because we really like sequels but we also don't like not playing the original right so i'm playing the original but i'm also playing the sequel <laughs> which is like perfect apart from the fact that um they made master two <laughs> makes me dislike them but uh anyway uh, i'm glad that you had fun so today's episode as you can possibly read by the title of the episode is going to be about battle toads which is a great little piece of the early 90s as a thing. And in order to talk about Battletoads, we need to talk about another group of anthropomorphic creatures and that is the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and we'll get into why as we go through the episode. So back in 1984, Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird created what would become a powerhouse of a multimedia franchise, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. This franchise followed four young anthropomorphic turtle brothers trained in the arts of ninjutsu by an anthropomorphic rat. Their names were Leonardo, Michelangelo, Donatello, and Raphael. They would go on to star in comics, 
films, television shows, and of course, video games. The first video game was created in 1989 by Konami for the Nintendo Entertainment System and was an action-adventure game. This game performed well and was a commercial success, and by 1990 it had sold over a million cartridges in the U.S. market. However, the game was challenging and received a mixed critical reception upon its original release and subsequent re-releases. However, though, it was a successful release, and Konami realized that they had a winning franchise in their hands and developed Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, or TMNT Super Kame Ninja, in Japan, which would go on to hit arcades in the same year as the NES release, but it was a beat-em-up in the arcade, and oh boy, was this game successful. It would go on to not be a commercial success, but a blockbuster of a commercial success, especially in North America, becoming Konami's highest-grossing arcade game. In fact, they were so overwhelmed with the demand that they had to outsource additional U.S. manufacturing to the Dynamo Corporation because they couldn't keep up with the amount of demand that the U.S. market had for their arcade cabs. In 1990, the following year of release, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film dropped, which was also very successful, and it gave the arcade game another boost in earnings. By early April 1990, Konami had sold over 20,000 arcade cabinets internationally outside of Japan, with 14,000 of those sales in the U.S. market. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles became the biggest arcade hit since Double Dragon, which was released back in 1987. And in North America, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was the highest grossing upright cabinet on the arcade charts throughout 1990, according to Replay, which was a charting magazine that was for the industry. During November and December of 1990, weekly earnings averaged $163 per cabinet throughout the entire U.S. So we're talking 20,000 cabinets making $163 a week. We're talking multi millions of dollars of coins per week with the number of cabinets in North America alone. So why are we discussing turtles when the episode's about battle toads? Man, because turtles are so good. They are. And we wanted to set the stage of where Rare was in the early 90s because Rare was the company that made Double Dragon, which was just dethroned by turtles. And Rare was sitting back and saying, wow, Konami really hit a winner. They have a lot of success with these Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle franchise, particularly in arcade and home console markets. So what did we? what did Rare need? They needed their own mascots to compete with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And what did those mascots need to be? Anthropomorphic animals. And thus, Battletoads were born. But instead of anthropomorphic turtles, because that would be bordering copyright infringement, <laughs> they were anthropomorphic toads. And, and instead of being named after famous Italian artists, they were named after skin conditions. There was rash, zits, and pimple. Gross. And yeah, the Battletoads really came about during this era where everyone, not just Rare, wanted to be the next Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And by that, we mean that everyone was looking to have something that could exist as toys, games, and shows. Ideally, all three at once. This was the era where shows like Street Sharks, Extreme Dinosaurs, Stone Protectors, Samurai Pizza Cats, SWAT Cats, and Toxic Crusaders were all available on TV, had toy lines, and in some cases, had video games. Street Sharks didn't get a video game, and it makes me so grumpy. Street Sharks would have been the best video game ever. In fact, Battletoads got a half-hour animated television show. We'll mention it. No, but... It had one episode. 
episode. But do you know who did it? DIC, which was the same company that did Street Sharks and Extreme Dinosaurs. Battletoads was was kind of unique as it really started out as a video game. And then it would spawn its own line of toys and even did, as Seth just mentioned, have a pilot episode of a TV show produced by DIC or Deke. Which always sounds like whenever I see it, it looks like Dick. <laughs> I mean, probably DIC. They, they don't say that. It's Deke. Like when you ever, because I used to have the old tapes. I thought they did the D-I-C. No, I have the old tapes. um, And it's like, it shows like a bedroom and then it zooms out of the bedroom into the sky. And then it goes, da, 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 Deke. So d- development began in the early 1990s as Rare wanted to not only capitalize on the TMNT craze, but also wanted to create a game that could contrast against the popular beat-em-up genre that was currently raking in tons of money in the arcade. So Rare saw two things. They saw beat-em-ups as being highly successful, and they saw Turtles as being highly successful. And they said, let's get that money. And they got to work on creating Battletoads. And in its earliest days, it was called Amphibians. And at one point was going to be Disney themed, which I don't know what they were thinking, but apparently as they added more and more violence into the game, they had to cut out the Disney theming and eventually it took on its own life. And that's when it became Battletoads. Now, the characters as previously mentioned all get their names from skin conditions, which while gross, doesn't reflect how they appear. Each character appears as a tall anthropomorphized toad and anthropomorphized being a animal that's human looking so that's just like even anamorphs is kind of an example of like in the middle of their changing into an animal they're kind of well yeah i mean like the best example would be furries i mean if you know what a furry is out there that's an anthropomorphized character they wear belts armbands and knee bands with spikes on them the game was heavily advertised in nintendo power earning the place of a cover story for one of the issues and also two months of comics were created by valiant and featured in the magazine the music in the game was composed by david weiss and it's absolutely amazing yeah you you will put a snippet of the music in the beginning but let's just put in the pause menu song which is just great It gets you ready. Just gets you ready. The game would go on to be officially released in June of 1991. Now, Battletoads is, if anyone has ever told you or if you've ever experienced it for yourself, really hard. It's actually infamously hard. You start uh, with three lives. You do get continues, but the game doesn't have any saving functionality or password functionality. So you can't save your progress and you can't turn off the game and turn it back on and type in a password to get to the level you were in. If you want to play all of Battletoads, you have to play it in one sitting, which sounds like like not a difficult task but it is a difficult task you have the maximum of six hit points and these will be able to be replenished if you eat flies but you'll lose them very quickly due to an onslaught of enemies and bullets that you have to dodge punch and smack it's a side-scrolling beat-em-up but there are also some racing elements some climbing elements vehicle elements throughout the various levels also one thing that's important to know is it is a multiplayer game you can have two people playing at once there is friendly damage between the players so if you accidentally start punching your friend you will stun lock them and you cannot pull away until you finish your combo and you can kill your friend that way and they will lose a life and i'm pretty sure if they use a continue it's also your continue it it is 
bonkers hard. One level is infamous, and that is the turbo tunnel. You are required to fly a hover bike and dodge obstacles. Sounds easy. This turbo tunnel goes so fast. It is like very, very scary fast. And the objects that you have to dodge are one hit kill. So if you thought you were doing great and not losing a single life, say goodbye to all of your lives and all of your continues at the turbo tunnel. You're going to lose them all. If you crash, you die. <laughs> the turbo tunnel sounds like something that would be on like Nick Arcade. <laughs> it does. Now you're now entering the turbo tunnel where there's only death. As the game is a beat-em-up, enemies are fought by punching or kicking them. You can also uh, equip items by picking them up. You'll get to be able to use, like, a piece of metal for, like, a short amount of time or, like, a bat for a short amount of time. You get a limited number of hits with each object. And the attacks, I will say, have a very satisfying feel to them. Uh, pretty much when you start laying into an enemy, you get into these combos where you, like, stun lock the enemy and then you just wail into them nonstop. Yeah. That enemy won't be able to attack you. The other enemies can still attack you, but that enemy will not be able to. And it just feels great don't their feet get really big yeah yeah you get like a super kick and a super punch if you just keep wailing into them yeah so your fist will grow like double the size and it will just burst them across the screen yeah or your kick like will become huge yeah oh it's, it's so satisfying it, the the combat is really well done in pretty much all the battletoads games which is why people arguably have a lot of like it has a cult following even though it was so tough yeah like, gameplay is just so much fun it doesn't matter that the game's tough play the same level over and over again it's still gonna be fun yeah now the storyline the plot of battletoads because there is one is that the game follows the three battletoads rash zits and pimple who must save princess angelica the daughter of the terran emperor who has been kidnapped by the evil dark queen who is referred to as the mistress of magic between each level you receive messages from your boss professor t bird who will give you like encouragement and being like you can do it toads but you are also mocked by the dark queen herself who will try to discourage you from your quest which the plot is just so silly it's very spacey but also you're just three giant toads well that's the other thing is like battle toads is a sci like a it's sci-fi like, it's, it's beat like a sci-fi epic <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a like sci-fi a space opera <laughs> beat em up where you play as these big old toads trying to rescue a girl but like all the levels are like either spacey like yeah metal ships or like alien planets there's like i think one of the bosses is just like this big worm and stuff like that you have to like ride on the turbo tunnel itself isn't even like a metallic tunnel it's this weird it looks almost like like a geiger painting it has like weird brain texture on the background and like meaty floor it's just gross looking to be honest uh it's a very very, very sci-fi heavy but i think that kind of lends to something unique about battletoads as it makes it very distinguishable from other beat-em-ups and also distinguishable from tmnt which rare probably needed so they could not necessarily have their game be accused of being a tmnt ripoff if it looked so much dramatically different now tell me seth tell me a little bit about how battletoads did i had trouble personally finding actual sales numbers for battletoads i'll say when i was doing my notes apparently nintendo is uh, pretty secretive with that stuff in, the, in those early days. Some stuff is a bit more public, other stuff's a bit more held close to their chest. As Zach mentioned, uh, sales figures were a little bit tough to find. So if you find how well Battletoads sold, feel free to email us and let us know. But they did, uh, it was received by uh, critics pretty well. So the NES version received a 4.8 out of 5 from GamePro, 9 out of 10 from EGM, and 91% from Computer and Video Games, and 5 stars from the Dragon Magazine, because as a reader of Dragon Magazine, definitely the reputable source for video game reviews. The 
reviews were all very fairly positive, though some critics found uh, the backgrounds of the video game to be pretty bland. So in 1991, the year it came out, Nintendo Power placed Battletoads on its top 30 list, starting it in at number 26th. It soon quickly rose to 13 and then 11. And then by October at number 3, Nintendo Power in 1992 changed the top 30 list to the top 20 list, and Battletoads moved to number 2 and stayed there for three issues, being beaten only by Super Mario Brothers 3. The game would remain in the top 10 list for 17 months and with the top 5 for those 11 of those months. By 1994, it was still charting with the top 20 list, but started to make its way lower on in the list. So it would, by definition, by its charting in Nintendo Power, look to be a a pretty good seller. Yeah. And I don't know if it was Nintendo necessarily holding back information. It may have been Rare holding back information regarding It might have been a bit of both. Because I know Nintendo posts all of their sales for like first party apps. So they do games. for a lot of first party stuff. They don't do for a lot of third and second party stuff. Um, and Rare at the time would be a second party developer. So Battletoads would go on to be nominated for the 1991 Nintendo Power Awards in nine categories and winning the first place in the categories for graphics and sound for the NES, theme and fun for the NES, best play control for the NES, and best multiplayer or simultaneous in for the NES. It was also given the title of the overall best game for the NES for 1990. Battletoads' legacy is something completely of its own thing. It was remembered for its difficulty and helped coin the term Nintendo hard amongst gamers. While it has been remembered as being one of the best games for the NES, it also continues to be remembered for being one of the most difficult games for the NES. Some credit this difficulty to the rental industry. We've talked about before with other games that the rental industry is largely to blame for why certain games were very difficult. Really what would happen was games were often catered around the idea of being unable to be beaten in a single weekend and thus push consumers to either continue renting the game or to outright purchase the game because if you can rent a game from the store and beat it in a weekend that's only one sale and that's only one rental but if you can't beat it in a weekend you have to rent it again you have to rent it again (laughs) and you have to rent it again that's a lot of rentals for one game people complain about dlcs and like microtransactions within video games and how video game companies are exploiting the gamers nowadays and they didn't used to exploit the gamers back in the day they would release games that were complete and that you would be able to pay once and get a game look look at this crap right oh yeah this is the 90s this would arguably be back in the day and they honestly were out there making tough video games to get multiple rentals which is really kind of also just as bad as microtransactions because they're, yeah, it's a completed game, but they deliberately make the game tougher to make sure that it drives additional rentals. And this is, Battletoads is not the only example of this happening. There are games that were changed for the North American market to solely be more difficult so that there would be more yeah. rentals. Yeah, Resident Evil, when it came out in the US, was 100% changed just for the rental market. So don't think that the video game industry all of a sudden became abusive to its gamers when they started doing microtransaction and DLC, like it's all that scummy stuff. for years. They have been, from the beginning, abusive to gamers. It just were better at hiding it. Now, the success of the game led to spinoffs and sequels. A spinoff version of the game, also titled Battletoads, was released on the Game Boy in 1991. The first sequel was released in 1993 called Battletoads and Battle Maniacs. That was for the Super Nintendo. And another sequel called Battletoads and Double Dragon released the same year. That was available on the Sega Genesis and the NES. And we had a copy for the Sega Genesis. That game ruled. That game is amazing. (laughs) 
Double Dragon is great. Battletoads is also great. Battletoads and Double Dragon is the best combination because it also doesn't make any sense beyond the fact that they are both properties of Rare. They're like, Double Dragon is about two guys who are like karate people. Yeah, who want to save their girlfriend. To save their girlfriend. And Battletoads are about three toads that are named after skin conditions who want to save a princess. And that's it. And then all of a sudden they team up and they go to space with the double dragon guys so good the best part about i think battle toads and double dragon is that it beyond having double dragon characters in it has nothing to do with double dragon the game plays like a battle toads game it doesn't play like a double dragon game which do play differently like they they play entirely differently it's just a battle toads game that has double dragon characters in it like you have to fight a bobo at one point uh it's so silly but i love that game so much a fourth game was uh released called battle toads arcade and that came out in 1994 and had lackluster sales. Now, as mentioned before, a pilot for a TV show was created by Deke Entertainment. It was never picked up for a full show. Unfortunately. I know. It's so such a bummer. I would have loved a Battletoads show as like, ah, that would have been perfect. I would be renting those VHS tapes for years. A line of toys were also created in 1992 by Just Toys. Uh, these go for a pretty penny online. So if you have any Just Toys Battletoads figurines, uh, you're sitting on about a $100, $200 pop per figure. If it's in the original packaging. Loose ones are going for 65 to 80. That's per figure, 65 to 80. And then uh, if you have it in the original packaging, you're looking at $100, $150, depending on which particular battle toad you have for example pimple and rash fetch about 150 but zits nobody liked and was 100 <laughs> now in uh 2020 a line of six inch figures were released by megalopolis toys the first game was also ported across various systems it was ported to the amiga the sega genesis the game gear and not to cause any confusion but there was a port to the game boy called battle toads in ragnarok's world this is not the same game as the 1991 game boy game just called battle toads that's a different game it's just so confusing to me they ported the nes game to the game boy yeah. and they gave it a new name and then they created a different battle toads game for the game boy and they gave it the same name as the nes game anyway the nes version was also included on the rare replay release on the xbox one and and in 2020, a new version of the game was released just called Battletoads. It apparently did. Ah! not so well it sold pretty decently but the reviews are pretty bad now a fun fact about Battletoads that we couldn't not talk about was the fact that it was a subject to a mass prank call that was organized by 4chan members of the site would call gold and silver pawn shop the home of the tv show pawn stars and ask them repeatedly if they had copies of Battletoads. this led rick harrison owner of the store to repeatedly get caught on call yelling and swearing at the callers rare eventually acknowledged the prank by including an achievement called do you have battle toads in their rare replay release that's great we should have rick harrison come on the show and just talk to us about talk battle oh my god talk <laughs> about the battle toads pranks be like here dear rick rick harrison if you're listening to classic gaming brothers please let us know now that will do it for battle toads a, a great game that is very hard but i still love yeah i just love the aesthetic it's a great aesthetic moving on now we're going to talk about our retro rewinds last week seth gave me the lost vikings a super nintendo game that was developed by silicon and synapse who would later become blizzard and uh it's a pretty cool game uh, lost vikings is a puzzle platformer where you play as three vikings who are indeed lost you're playing as these 
these Vikings who get like abducted by aliens. So you're lost in space and you have to uh, find your way out of various like mazes. The Vikings are Eric the Swift, Baleog the Fierce, and Olaf the Stout. Each has their own ability unique to them. Eric is quick and can jump. Baleog can attack. He has a sword and a bow. And Olaf has a shield that he can either put above him or in front of him. You have to get all three Vikings to the end of the map without having any of them die. To do so, you need to utilize their different abilities. So for example, there might be a turret that shoots a blast at you. You need to use Olaf to block the blast. There also might be an alien that you have to fight. You need to use Baleog to kill the alien. Or there might be a pit with spikes. You need to use Eric to jump over the pit with spikes and then potentially like put up a bridge or something. It's a cool game. I really liked the aesthetic and I like the the music I think is amazing. It's just this like techno beat that plays throughout. And I like the idea that I, for some reason, thought this game was going to be something completely different. I didn't realize it was a puzzle game and I really liked the puzzles. So yeah, I think it definitely holds up. And there's apparently a sequel and apparently a sequel came out for Windows and has voice acting and Rob Paulson is one of the voice actors on it next week seth you can play rock and roll racing for the super nintendo Ooh, zach gave me a techno cop for the sega genesis which was released originally for a number of systems back in 1988 such as the amiga the amstrad cpc and the apple II. it was re-released in 1990 for the sega genesis and we don't know why uh it starts off with you in a car and you need to drive fast to get to a crime scene you also have a gun that you can shoot and blow up cars in front of you that aren't necessarily breaking the law nor you just you just they might just be in your way and you just blast them you need to drive fast to get to a crime scene because the longer it takes you to get to the crime scene the longer it takes you the less time you have to find the bad guy at the crime scene so you have like i don't know like five minutes and then by the time you get to the crime scene you have like four minutes and then you have like four minutes to wander around this map trying to find the bad guy when you arrive at the crime scene you can either start blasting people with your gun or you could start netting people with your net gun and the game doesn't particularly care whether or not the people are good or bad guys the bad guys will attack you and the good guys will just try and jump around but you can blast them all the same uh you have to track down the boss in the remaining time and defeat them without dying or the time running out or else you fail and your promotion gets denied and you have to get back in your car and do it all over again uh the game has like um a hud which makes sense in the car. So like in the car, there's like a little window where you can see your car. And then there's the HUD that has like the speedometer, which is like a futuristic speedometer and your engine stuff and like your wheel, like all stuff you need to have on your car, right? But then when you stop at a crime scene, which you're just like driving and then you just turn and just take an abrupt right and then you're going to the crime scene. When you go to the crime scene, the car HUD uh, goes away and is replaced with an arm HUD where it's just your arm you have like a little tv set in your arm that shows you the guy that you're looking for and then it just has gun or net and you can pick back between those and you play in the the little screen where the car previously was now you have your little guy walking around i didn't hate the game i did restart it to try and do it again to be better at it and it's fun from what i read about the game it does get repetitive after a while but if you're bad at games like me and you don't get very far it can hold up i get like i said i did not have a bad time playing the game so yeah, it holds up a little bit. I don't think it holds up as much as Lost Vikings. That game is great. Zach definitely won. I, I won Retro Rewind. You did. You won Retro Rewind this time. Zach, next time you you could play Thomas the Tank Engine for the Sega Genesis. Choo-choo. Since I wanted you to play originally Locomotive, but uh, Zach has difficulty sometimes getting arcade games to run. Now, if you're uh, interested in contacting the Classic Gaming Brothers, you can always send us an email at classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com. You can follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch. All those are 
at Classic Gaming Brothers. And you can also follow us on Twitter, which we are CG Brothers Pod. Finally, you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. We are there. So you can find us and search for us and you can listen to more episodes. They come out every Sunday. And that's going to be our episode. If you have any complaints or feedback, you can write us emails. We'll read your emails or read. we'll, we'll definitely read your emails. And then maybe we'll talk about them uh, on the air. Or we'll, we'll send them to the producer, our producer, Doug, who will um, tear them up and scream at us. Anyway, Zach, is there anything else I'm missing? Don't play games like my brother. And don't play games like my brother. I've been Zach. I've been Seth. We've been the classic gaming brothers. That's right. <laughs>